And so, having sent his Son to fulfill the work of the cross, to give us the very gospel to preach, he needed a man to preach it. Who would that man be? What would his qualifications be? Who would we choose and select for such a task? Well, the answer is obvious, and we know from the chapter we have read tonight that that choice of God's sovereign purpose was the outstanding character and figure, Paul the Apostle. Above all men, above all the other apostles combined, this one man was the choice vessel of the Lord to take the gospel to spread Christianity so that within decades it would be and permeate every corner of Roman civilization. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Dollarher. We're glad to have you on the air today to bring you the gospel of our Lord Jesus. From the pulpit of our church here in Cloverdale, this is Pastor Ian Dollarher. We begin today with Matthew 5 and verse 38, the Sermon on the Mount where our Lord Jesus was seeking to show that the law is a mirror to show us our need of a Savior. Let's read together these verses. Ye have heard that it hath been said, An eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law, and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, Go with him, twin. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Here is the law of Christ, but it's the law that he brings out from the law of God. This is that law of grace, which is based upon and consistent with the law of Moses. Now, the key text, of course, here would be going the second mile. This is all about attitude, attitude. Lately, a friend of mine gave me a proposition for hiring an employee. Would I choose a man with little knowledge, a man with little skill, or a man with bad attitude? Which one is the most hireable? You cannot teach attitude, of course. And so every time, the one with bad attitude is the one that cannot be hired. And here the Lord Jesus sought to show the error of those who took the law of God and applied it for their own greed and laziness. They would exact bitter revenge on any who wronged them in an exact manner of like for like, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Now that is the law, of course, but it is God's standard of justice, not man's. The Lord Jesus taught us to turn the other cheek to those who wrong us. We are to show generosity by giving our second coat as well as the one he asks for. We are to go a second mile as well as the first. Now this 
really was an idiom borrowed from the Persian courier system. They would have various stage posts where people would take the king's message from uh, a line of uh, courier, and they would press any man to take a message to the next stage in the journey. Most were reluctant to do so. But the attitude of the Christian is to go the second mile if required. What an attitude. Now, this is a common English idiom now, going the second mile. What an attitude. It is Christian, and it will gain you opportunity and testimony to be a disciple of Christ. It will open up doors for you and show the world that you are not a greedy, selfish, grasping, carnal servant of this world, but a follower of the Son of God. So today, pray for an attitude fix. It really requires a heart fix. This is not a way to be saved, but the result of those to whom the Lord gives His Spirit in the new birth experience. You are born from above. Old things pass away, and old things become new. Yes, the born-again Christian should be the best employee and the first to be hired. The missionary spirit will work in the office as well as in the mission field. God can use you today as a Christian disciple to go the second mile and show the grace of Christ in you. And you will be the blessed man. And of course, you can pray about it as well. You can ask the Lord for the power and his spirit to be given you, that you might be that disciple of the second mile. Paul said in Philippians 4.13, that I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And I would ask you today to pray about it. Pray that the Spirit of the Lord would be in you to be a second mile Christian that you may have the grace today in whatever situation, at home, at work, in the office, in serving the Lord, that you may go the second mile, do your utmost to exalt the Lord. As the Bible says, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. And undoubtedly, the blessing of the Lord will be in it. And there will be joy in your heart as you put your hand to it. Let's unite in prayer and ask for the Lord's grace to do so today. Do this. Father in heaven, we thank thee for the grace that you give, the help that you give, as we seek to serve the Lord. We thank thee that thou hast called us to be a people full of the Spirit, full of grace, not living by the earthly principles of this world, but living by that heavenly power of Christ Jesus living, dwelling in us. And I pray that you will put thy spirit in every one of us, that we might live for thee today, putting into action your own word, that we might be a people going the second mile, doing our all with that zeal for the Lord and having a testimony for thy glory. We pray that thy blessing will be upon our labors and efforts, that you will give of thy power and thy blessing upon our labors for thee today. And now, Lord, remember thy people wherever they are. Lord, remember them in every circumstance and situation, some with health needs, hurts and sorrows and griefs. 
We live in a valley of tears and sorrow. O God, I pray that thou wilt minister to your own people, some in loneliness and bereavement. O that thou wilt comfort the, the empty heart, and thou wilt bring joy, peace, and gladness to your own people. We pray for the unconverted that are lost, perishing in sin. Those, O Lord, who know nothing but the law of the jungle, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. We pray that thou will be pleased today to bring them to the grace of the Lord Jesus, that they may know our Savior, that they may know the gospel, the tenderness of our Savior, and the power of his cleansing blood. Work by thy Spirit. Use your word and the light of your people and your church. And now let glory be to that name which is above every name, the wondrous name of Jesus in whom we ask these things. Amen. Teach me thy will, O Lord, teach me thy way. Teach me to know thy word, teach me to listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of our Free Presbyterian Church. This is Ian Golliher. It is a joy to have you with us on the broadcast. I trust you've been blessed through this devotional and that you'll stay with us as we look at the early life of the Apostle Paul, the life that would march around the Mediterranean and preach the glorious gospel as the vessel of God, God's choice vessel to preach the glorious gospel. And that life had to be molded, had to be prepared in various unique ways. 
Today we're going to take a look at that. I trust you'll open your Bible with us at the book of Philippians chapter 3 as we let the Bible speak from the pulpit of our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. Whose name would you put to this statement? It takes a village to raise a child. I looked it up today, and the name that came up was Hillary Clinton. Her use of that, or association with that, was her plea that the government would pour more money into the whole process of social issues and the social agenda uh, of course, in the United States and perhaps in her particular area. But it takes God's grace to make a man a man of God. And the one thing I want everyone to get, and I am insisting that you don't miss this, that Paul only was what he was because of the grace of God. And we are going to heal him and laud him, and we're going to have some great things to say about the mighty Apostle Paul. And yet, as he said himself, I am what I am by the grace of God. And that grace that was poured into me was not in vain, but I labored more than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was given me. Paul's birth probably took place around A.D. 10. Using the Gregorian calendar, which makes the birth of our Lord Jesus to be actually 5 B.C., that means that Paul was 15 years junior of our Lord Jesus. We do know that Paul was martyred in A.D. 67 when he was somewhere in his late 50s. We also know that Saul's conversion took place in A.D. 38, which would make him around 28 years old. Now, I say we know this, but we don't know it from the Bible, so it's not inspired, and don't hang me if some historian comes up with a different figure, because they do differ somewhat. But if you compare those dates, the... Uh, suggest the date of his birth, the day of his martyrdom, and you work around it, uh, they do fit. It's like the jigsaw puzzle, the pieces do fit quite well. And when you look at that, you'll find that he began his missionary work when he was 38 years old, when he started out on his first missionary journey. Ten years from his conversion until he launched out into that first missionary trip with Barnabas. And so from 38 to his late 50s, you can work out that Paul, under God and by God's grace, accomplished his work in 20 years. 20 years of serving the Lord. 
And when you think about it, that's just about the most that most of us get between the time we are preparing ourselves in training and getting established and getting to the starting line, and by the time we decline in years and in health and are able to serve. Uh, most have 20 years to serve God, if that. So all in all, we see God's hand upon this man at work in a very remarkable ministry in a relatively short time. Now, Paul renounced all fleshly things. He renounced his heritage. He renounced the fact that he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He renounced that he was a Benjamite. He renounced that he was a Pharisee and that his father was a Pharisee. He renounced all of these things. And as we read earlier, he counted them but dung that he may win Christ. For salvation, Paul rested on nothing or none of those things for eternal life. He depended only on the cross. He depended only on the righteousness of Christ. And he said he counted all of those things but dung that he might win Christ. Nevertheless, even though he renounced all those things as to his salvation, you will find in Paul's life that those heritage, that heritage, the upbringing, the experiences that he had as a young boy and a young man pre-conversion, that God through grace took the raw material of Saul of Tarsus and transformed that raw material into an apostle, an ambassador for the gospel. And really, that's what God does every time that he saves men and women, changes their lives, molds them, and sets them to serve him in the gospel. And so I trust that tonight, as we look into this life, that you might rejoice in what God has done in your life, if you're a Christian tonight. And as I have prayed, that we might find hope that God may take us and use us all the more, that we might be able to say, but Paul did, I am what I am by the grace of God. Now, the first thing as we look at the youth and the training of this Saul of Tarsus is the place of his birth. He is, of course, Saul of Tarsus, which is a city of Sicilia. If you follow the map from the Mediterranean coast of Palestine, you follow it right due north until you hit that little curve which turns to the left, where you find modern-day Turkey. And there's a little bit of a bay that goes in and back out again, and you follow that curve. There you will find a river called Cydnus. Nine miles inland is the city of Tarsus. That is the area and the town where Saul was born and raised. It was, as he says in Acts 21, 39, 
no mean city. In other words, it was not a backwater. It was a busy merchant city. That waterway was a waterway that was busy with the loading and unloading of shipping. Their cargo of wool, of grain, of lumber, of slaves, of transporting people and poets and military back and forth. Easton's Dictionary gives us this little account, and I use it because it's nice and concise. Tarsus, the chief city of Cilicia, it was distinguished for its wealth and for its schools of learning, in which it rivaled, nay, excelled even Athens and Alexandria. I must say that took me by surprise. And hence was spoken of as no mean city. It was the native place of the Apostle Paul. It stood on the banks of the river Cydnus, about 12 miles north of the Mediterranean. It is said to have been founded by Sardanapolis, king of Assyria. It is now a ruinous Turkish town called Tersus. So if you were to visit that area today, you could find something of the actual location. But the main thing I want to point out is that it was a Greek city. It was outside of Israel, outside of Palestine, outside of that Jewish-Israel connection. And you can imagine this young boy, Saul of Tarsus, growing up in this hiving, thriving city, learning the chatter of the marketplace, listening to the orators and the debaters in the public forums. He was steeped in Greek people, Greek life, Greek literature. His learning of the Greek world was not a bookish learning. It was practical Greek world training, which, as I say, God took that raw material of his Greek exposure to Greek world and put it to use when he made him an apostle. There is no doubt that the plowboy in some quiet village would not have banked the experiences with people that Saul of Tarsus gained as he grew up in this particular town. You see, God makes no mistakes when he prepares his men. And while a man may grow up in a particular situation without a Savior, without grace in his life, without a knowledge of the, of the, of the living God, yet after he is converted, God can take every one of those experiences and transform them into the very tools to use him for his service. And so the place where we were born, the circumstances that we have known, the experiences of life that we have gone through, God can use every one of them in our lives. This is what we learn as we look at his birthplace. Because, and maybe I haven't made this point, 
God was calling Paul to be an apostle, not to Jews primarily, not to preach to Israelites, but to preach to Gentiles. We learned that last week in Acts 9, 16. He was a chosen vessel to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, Romans and Greeks. And it would demand a man who would know the Greek world, the Greek literature, the Greek psyche, the Greek atmosphere and ambience of life. And God raised Saul of Tarsus steeped in those very things. Now, secondly, Saul of Tarsus was raised in a very strict Jewish home. And that seems a conundrum. That seems almost an anomaly. He grew up in a Greek culture, but everything about him was Jewish. That's why we read there in Philippians 3, Paul could say that he was an Hebrew of the Hebrews. And this is the marvel of the Jewish diaspora. The fact that the Jewish colonies were scattered over the main uh, populated areas of the Roman Empire. These Jews who traded with the people of the various cultures, but they assimilated with none. They kept themselves separate as Jews. And Saul of Tarsus growing up in this Jewish home in Tarsus was as much a Jewish boy as a Jewish boy in Jerusalem. His home life had all the rigor of Jewish life. In fact, the very fact that he was called Saul by his parents may tell us that his parents were very devout. You'll know that Saul of Tarsus was a Benjamite. The Old Testament Saul was a Benjamite. King Saul of the Old Testament, that king who was head and shoulders above others, was a Benjamite. And here are these Benjamite, proud Jewish people, blessed with a boy. What do they call him? Saul. Perhaps there is something in them with a hope that God will take their boy and make him as head and shoulders a blessing to the people. One has suggested that just as Benjamin, the latest of the sons of Jacob, was the one who was used to bring Jacob down into Pharaoh, into the land of Egypt, and it was for Benjamin that Jacob wanted to go down, that this Saul, the Saul of the New Testament, is the one that was born out of due time. He was the latest of all the apostles, born out of due time. And he was the one called, chosen to go to the Gentiles. I would call that a suggestion, not a doctrine. Interesting, however, just a little bit of the weaving of Scripture that I think it's interesting to know. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. Thank you for joining us on the program today. As we give thanks to the Lord this Thanksgiving season, I want to thank you for your faithful listening to this program and for those who have supported with their gifts. 
it's timely to consider supporting this program with a Thanksgiving gift. We are presently airing these programs on 10 stations right across Canada. Some are on Sunday mornings, and others are Monday to Friday. From time to time, we remind you as our listeners that if you are blessed through these programs, please consider helping us with the cost of airtime to get the gospel out to you and throughout much of Canada. You can check out our donation button on our church website, ltbs.ca. For all the information on how to donate by e-transfer, PayPal, or by mail-in check, go to ltbs.ca. The mailing address is LTBS 18790, 58th Avenue, Surrey, B.C., V3S 1M6. Thank you for your support, large or small. May the Lord bless you and keep you in His care, and above all, save souls through the gospel of His Son, as we preach it on these airwaves each week. For information or pastoral help, go to our website, ltbs.ca, or just give me a call at 604-897-2040. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. Have a blessed Thanksgiving week.